But uh, I count it a privilege and an honor that our pastor would entrust me with his pulpit with this great work that's going on here at Calvary Baptist Church. I, I just, I'm amazed every, every week when something different happens or some new ministry is taken up and the Lord blesses and money comes in when you don't know even where it's coming from to support the work of God. But don't take it for granted, as the pastor says. I've seen churches through my years of ministry, and I can name them. I can name some right in our area that started out like this church started out. They won't fire for God, all the bus ministries, Sunday schools, hundreds of people coming, and today some of those churches are barely running 40 to 50 people. Some of them have shut down the auditoriums and just taken out pews. And we don't want to see that happen here. Amen. If anything, I want to see them add them. I want to see them over here and over here and up the aisles and up here and fill up the building and then knock out the side. Bless God, build another one. That's what we're in business for. And as long as we stay with the Lord and stay in his will, brother, he'll keep blessing. I'm going to preach to you a message tonight. If you look on the screen, I don't want you to get up and walk out. But I want to preach a message tonight that the Lord laid on my heart. I've been teaching the book of Matthew on our program on Facebook called Prospect in the Word. I haven't announced it much. The pastor announces it once in a while. I told him, I said, let God take care of it. But uh, if you haven't been watching, if you tune in every Monday and Tuesday evening at 8 p.m., we're on Facebook and we try to teach the Word of God. Now, it's different teaching on Facebook when you're looking at a computer screen and you don't know who you're looking at or who's watching than it is here. I'd rather preach to an audience that I know is watching. But there, it's, it's different. I preached on the radio for many years and... Uh, it was uh, different when you're not, you don't know who you're preaching to. If you would turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter number five. And if you would stand with us as we read verses 13 and 14. I thought about reading uh, these four verses, but I'm not going to try to deal with the light tonight. We're going to be talking about salt. And if you notice the message, our message tonight is called Low Down, Good for Nothing. Now, if you would call somebody that to their face, you might be in for a fight. But now when the Lord Jesus Christ says that about a person, then you got to deal with him. And so I hope that the Lord will bless our message tonight and lead us as we try to preach. I don't want to offend anybody, but if the word of God offends you, then... You, you need to go to the Lord with it. Amen? I didn't come here to offend anybody. I just come here to preach and let God do the offending. Amen? Look at verse number 13. The word of God says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let's pray and you can be seated. Father, I want to thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace and your goodness and God for allowing us to be here this evening. Now, Lord, I need your help. You've laid a message on my heart, God, that it's difficult to preach. But God, it's your word. And I pray now that you'd use me to get the message out as you've laid it on my heart. And then, Father, I ask you to speak to your people. And then, Father, if there be one here this evening who is lost, I pray, God, that you would speak to them through the message that they might be saved. Lead us and guide us, and we'll do our best, God, to praise you and honor you in Christ's name and for his sake we pray, 
Amen and amen. You may be seated. The worst thing I think that can be said about any saved person is that they lost their usefulness for God. Paul feared this when he made mention in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 27. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway comes from a Greek word which means to be put on the shelf and not used of God or just put on the shelf and like a lot of books, collect dust and never be picked up again. And Paul worried about that. And I worry about that. If there's one thing that I do not want in my ministry and in my life, as old as I am and as far down the road as I have gotten, and I'm gonna be turning 79 years old in just a few more days. I, I don't wanna fall by the wayside. Amen. I don't want God to put me uh, on a shelf somewhere and not use me uh, to preach or teach or to be used in the ministry. Now, I, I know the ministry I have is not much now, but in my old age, I believe God is using the ministry that I am doing now on Facebook and I am reaching more people now than I have ever reached in a ministry. I looked at my viewers last night and there's names that appeared there that I do not know are watching until after I finish later on, even sometime later on in the week. And I noticed that I have people watching from India and Pakistan and the Philippines and there was a note put on my computer last night asking me if I would be willing to preach by internet in Pakistan. And they sent me a bunch of pictures and a, a young lady is leading a group of uh, children. I mean, a, a group, look like hundreds. She calls herself an evangelist. And I don't believe God called, a women, uh, called women to, uh, to pastor and preach and to preach over men but I believe God can use women to help kids and children and that sort of thing. And they're doing that there in Pakistan, many of them. And I thought, God, why? I mean, I'm nothing. I'm just flesh. I'm just a little old country boy from the mountains of Virginia. And uh, Lord, I, I'm nothing. Why are you using me? God said, you just keep your mouth shut and you just keep preaching. I want to use you. And God is using that ministry greater than any ministry probably I've ever had. For a long time, I, I, I know very little about computers. If, if you want your computer messed up, you let me get a hold of it and I can fix it up for you. <laughs> but the pastor said, uh, when I made mention the fact I was going to try to start this, he said, I'm, I'm for you, brother. Get in there and do it. And then now he tells me, he says, brother, I'm glad you're doing it. He said, there's so many your age that never had much experience with computers. And he said, they are afraid to even try it. But I'm not afraid to try it, you know. And uh, if you've watched any of my program, you've seen several times that my program went off and I don't know if I did something wrong. But, uh, one night I messed with my computer for two hours before my grandson finally come in and said, I'll straighten it out for you. And he did and got me back online. <laughs> but I had missed the program. <laughs> but uh, Paul made mention of the fact that I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be put on a shelf and not use of God. And so many people are that way today. Even preachers and, and pastors at one time had a great influence on our world are put on a shelf today and they're not doing anything for God. There's no ministry and they're just going from day to day. Well, I've retired. Well, I don't find that in the scriptures. God didn't tell me to retire and he hasn't told any of his men to retire. What happens with God? Well, when uh, you retire, God retires you and he takes you home. Moses is a good example. 
God got done with him, took him out on that mountain Nebo and buried him. And so all through the scriptures, every time God got done with a man, he took him home, buried him. And uh, I want to do the work of God till he's done with me. And then I want God to say, come on home, son. And uh, you, you've done your job and you've done what I ask you to do. Now it's time for you to turn it over to someone else. Now, we don't want to be put on a shelf. Now, that was a saying by old folks. Many years ago, they would refer to certain people as low down and good for nothing. And it was often because of a scandalous lifestyle that a person would be living that when they would talk about so-and-so, they'd say so-and-so down the road, they're low down and good for nothing. They're not fit for nothing. They, uh, and and I, you've heard this old saying, they're not worth their salt. Well, I'm going to tell you where that come from in a few minutes. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it's bad when someone refers to someone as low down, good for nothing. But what about the Lord when he calls a person low down and good for nothing? And that's exactly what that verse is saying. When you read the verse, he said, if you've lost your saltiness, you're good for nothing but to be pitched out, cast out, and trodden under the foot of men. And isn't that exactly what happens to people today when they get out of the work of the Lord and they get that, uh, uh, that name of uh, uh, being cast aside or getting out of the work of God and, and leaving God's work and people say they're good for nothing. And I've often heard it said about a lot of preachers, they're low down and good for nothing. And uh, I'll say uh, probably that's probably right. But Jesus, when he says they're low down and good for nothing, brother, you better take notice. Jesus said when we lose our savor as Christians, we are low down, trodden underfoot, having or proceed to a low, a low moral and lower standards. When a person is cast out from the work of God or gets away from the work of God, they go to a low, low moral state of living. You know, we can, we can look at ourselves here this evening and I can point fingers at a lot of people, brother, that are living for God and right now God's using you and blessing you and blessing your work and your ministry and, and he's leading and guiding and directing you but you get cast aside and get put out from the work of God and do something that brings uh, a bad influence upon your ministry and what's people gonna say? They're low down and good for nothing. You know I'm telling you the truth. They, there's a lot of people right now, there may be some in this church, maybe you backslid somewhere along the line. You got out of the will of God, but you've come back. And maybe it's been said about you while you were out away from God. Well, I knew they couldn't take it. I knew that they wouldn't stand and they wouldn't stay there. I knew they were going to fall. And that's a bad thing to hear somebody say that about a person. But I want to say that God's able if you're willing to pick yourself up and, hey, the word of God said if a, if, if a child of God falls seven times, he'll get back up. Brother, the key to this thing is, is when you get down, don't stay down. If you're a sheep and you fall in a mud hole, get yourself out of the mud hole, get yourself cleaned up, bless God, and walk around mud holes the next time. Don't fall in another one. Amen. Yeah, stay away from that which causes you problems and which gets you out of the will of God and, and keeps you from serving God. There are so many people who uh, they, they fall and instead of uh, sidetracking the thing that caused them to fall, they, they will go for a while and then go right back to the same thing that caused them to fall the first time. I want to say when I was a sinner, lost, and I, 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 I don't boast about this, but beer joints used to be my thing. Hang around the beer joint with the boys and drinking my beer and this sort of thing. Now, I'm not using that to, to, uh, as a boast. 
But I'm saying that when God saved me, brother, I did not ever go back in another beer joint. I heard a person say one time, said, well, God led me to go down there and, you know, to sit with the boys and see if I could influence them to come to church. You're not going to influence a person to come to church sitting in a place like that. You're going to, what they're going to do is influence you to get out of church and to get back the way they're living. Now, I'm, I, I want to say one thing. There's one time that I have been in a beer joint or a place where they sold beer since I got saved but I did not go in alone and I went with two other preachers and I wouldn't have went in if they hadn't said, we're going in here and hand out some tracts and some revival posters. If I'd have been by myself, I'd have never went in. But I went with them and you talk about witnessing and I don't know, there's some of you here remember Frank Rowland. Miss Sue, does anybody else here remember Frank Rowland? Frank Rowland, myself, and another preacher, as a matter of fact, Frank Rowland's son-in-law, was with us up in Virginia and I had his son-in-law for a revival at the church that I was pastoring. And he was the one, he said, let's just go in here, hand out some tracts. I said, brother, you think that's wise? He said, well, with three of us, he said, yeah, I think it's wise. He said, we can vouch for each other and we can stand behind each other. So we, we went in there about five minutes and we asked the bartender, said, you mind if we hand out some literature? He said, help yourself. We started to hand out tracts and witness and inviting people to church. We stayed in there about five minutes and left. And that's the only time I've ever been back in one and I, I guess they were glad to see us go. <laughs> but I want to say that don't go around the same mud hole that you fell in or you're going to end up in trouble. Amen. And let me say, uh, when it mentions good for nothing, a person it means a person of little usefulness or as some would say, a sorry excuse. You've heard that said. There is a sorry excuse for a man or sorry excuse for a woman. Well, when you lose your influence as a child of God, that's exactly what people will say about you. And I want to tell you, I want to be an influence. I want my family to see me say, hey, Dad lives for God. Amen. And, they, and they may stand to say, I'm not where I ought to be with God, but I know my dad is living for God. Yes, I want my grandsons to know, hey, uh, Papa lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not in church, but we, we know he is. Amen. I want to be an influence. Yes, and if they die and go to hell, and if they do, they're going to go over all the praying and preaching and teaching and all that my wife and I have done through the years to try to keep them from going to hell. They're going to go over top of all of that. They're not going to be able to look back at, at, at Mama and Grandpa and say, well, they never lived for Christ. I want my neighbors to know that I'm living for Christ. There's a lady that lives right across the road from us. She's uh, way up in her 80s. Her mother died some years ago at, at uh, over 90 years of age. And when I was preaching at Friendly Chapel, uh, her and her sister came to some of the services at Friendly Chapel. And I talked to her just not too long ago. I said, have you been up and visited at Friendly Chapel lately? And she said, no, Mr. Looney. She said, we haven't been up there since you left. I said, now, wait a minute. I said, you need to go up there and check it out. I said, they got a good man preaching up there now. What, what I'm trying to do is influence her to get out of church where she is because the church where she's going and where they're members is not a Bible-believing church. And I'm trying to influence her. And I, wanted, I told her, I said, go, and I've invited them to come to Calvary. But uh, on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, I want her to see my car leaving my driveway and her look out and say, I know where he's going. He's headed for Calvary Baptist Church. I want my neighbors to know that. I want to be an influence. But when you lose your, your savor or your saltiness, you quit being an influence for your neighbors and your loved ones and the people 
uh, who know you. You know, the statements, salt of the earth and light of the world, emphasize that what you are is more than what you do. That you can do without being. Let me give you a finesse. Notice what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You can do without being, and that's exactly what Christ is saying. They were doing all of these things that were, uh, you know, that were commendable, but they weren't ready to meet the Lord when death came. And one day they would face him, and he said, you're going you're gonna to come before me. You're going to be said, we cast out devils. We've done all these things, but uh, you, weren't, uh, you weren't ready. You weren't saved. You weren't a Christian. You weren't uh, ready to meet God. And the same thing might be said about a lot of Christians one day at the judgment seat of Christ. You did all of these things, but your heart wasn't in it. You came to Calvary Baptist Church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, Sunday night after Sunday night. You came to all the revivals. You were there every time the doors opened, but your heart was not in it. There could be some of you sitting right here this evening. You're here and uh, your heart's not here. Maybe you're here just to influence somebody else or you here so that someone else will see and say, well, they were at church. I do that. I don't come for other people. I come for the Lord Jesus. But I mean, I look around at people that are here and people who are not here. And I think, well, what's the purpose? Why? Are you here? What, what brought you here tonight? Well, I'm going to tell you why I'm here. Because I love the one that saved me. I came here to get something tonight. I, I came here uh, to feel the presence of God and hear the Lord say, this is where you ought to be. Now, I know I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. I'm not Billy Graham. I don't have his education, but I'll tell you one thing. I got a better voice than he had. <laughs> he wasn't as loud. <laughs> he had to use them microphones. <laughs> I use them, but uh, that's because they asked me to. <laughs> I always say, if you can't hear me in the back, uh, raise your hand. I'll get a little louder. But... Uh, I'm here because I want to please the Lord who saved me and who called me into the ministry. I want to be pleasing him. I don't care whether I please anybody else at all. Amen. That's right. I didn't come here to please you tonight. I come here to holler at you and make you mad if I can. No, I'm just carrying on. I love you. It's the reason I'm here. Now, these people prophesied, but Christ said, you're not ready. You cannot be something without doing something. Character is more than charisma. You hear it talk about, boy, he sure has charisma, but I'd rather have character than to have that charisma. Character means everything in the Christian life. Character must be rewarded more than achievement. Amen. You can achieve a lot of things, but if your character's not up to par, it doesn't matter. Several men I know that have several degrees. I, one of my teachers years ago at Faith Theological Seminary had 15 major degrees. 
all in the ministry. When I talked to that man, I mean, it was like he was a walking theological commentary on the Bible. He had literature degrees. He could sit down and write books, literature on the Word of God. Uh, he knew all of the uh, theological language and uh, the Greek and the Hebrew. He had studied all of that, 15 major degrees hanging on his wall. And I thought about that. That's great. But the thing that I looked at more than all of those degrees that that man hanging on the wall was the character that he had when I came in contact with him. And I remember one night at uh, a commencement, he got up and there was about 40 or 50 of us preachers there to get our degrees. And he began to walk back and forth. And that night he rejected, he told three of our group that night, you're not going to get your doctorate degree because what you wrote and uh, the, the work that you did is not satisfactory with this seminary. And he said, you need to go back. And he said, I think several of you need to get saved. That's exactly what he told them. And he rejected them. And he walked back and forth for an hour and a half solid and preached everything the New Testament had to say on salvation, how to get saved, and how to maintain a life for Christ in salvation. I never heard anything like it. I was writing notes as fast as I could write them, and I couldn't keep up with him. But he had some character, and his character pointed out that if you don't have character, and you're showing your character by what you do in the ministry. We reflect our character every time we come before people or we talk to people or we have anything to do with people, we're, in, we're showing our character. And I'd rather have character than all the paperwork that you can hang on the wall. Amen? Amen. Well, let's look at salt for a few moments. I'm not going to keep you long. No longer 12. <laughs> no, I, my voice give out before then. <laughs> I want you to look at the salt here for a moment. The Bible said you're the salt of the earth. Now, salt speaks of value. Roman soldiers, and I told you I'd tell you about uh, why salt had value a little while ago. Roman soldiers were paid often with salt. And this is where the phrase come from, they're not worth their salt. And I'm sure that many of the Roman soldiers, when they were paid with salt, had it said about them, they're not worth what we're paying them. They're not worth their salt. It was a commodity back in Jesus' day. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he gave this message on salt. Did you know that you're valuable to God? You're worth something. Now, you may not think that tonight, but I'm going to tell you, you were worth more than salt. You know, all the gold and silver and all the riches of the world could not pay for your salvation, all of those riches could not pay for your salvation. But you know what it was that paid for it? The precious blood of Christ. And so there's something more precious than silver and gold, but there's something more precious than salt, although that was a commodity. Jesus used that. He said, you, you have value. And value is seen in the price that an individual is willing to pay. It's like when you go get a job. When your employ, employer uh, asks you to come to work, he makes you an offer. And uh, I agree that probably some employers uh, don't pay uh, a person maybe as much as they should pay because of the uh, jobs that they do and 
and how they work and so forth. And I'm not going to get into all that tonight. But they show how much you're worth to them by what they pay you. Amen. Now that's right. That's right. If you've got an employer and he comes to you and he pats you on the shoulder, he says, man, you're doing our job. Man, I couldn't, I just couldn't get it done without you. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to give you a $2 raise on uh, an hour on your check this week. Most of us are just like, have a heart attack right there. But they show the value by what they're willing to pay. Now, Christ is showing us how valuable we are by calling us salt. And he said, uh, what are you doing for me as the salt of the earth? All these precious metals of gold and silver, the word of God makes mention of the fact that all of that stuff's gonna corrupt and canker and, and mold and, and, and uh, Paper money, you know what's going to happen to it. You throw some of them dollar bills out and leave them laying out there for a couple of years, you go back and you won't be able to find up a dirt. they be galled, corrupt. Now, you're precious to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're precious to God. And a life that is most precious is a life that is sacrificed for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you something this evening and it's coming to it. You can mark my words just as sure as you sit in this building. I think about it every day. We talk about how much we love the Lord. We talk about how much we're going to stand and I'm going to tell you if Jesus Christ doesn't come and the rapture doesn't take place, you're going to find out who the real Christians are because it's coming. Every time I see what's going on in Washington, D.C., makes me realize right now that they hate Christians and they hate anybody that tells the truth and they hate anybody that has any kind of character whatsoever. We're living in a world today that morally is degenerated to the point almost, and I believe, worse than what it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. I studied that subject this week and I, I wanted to preach on that. And it just like the Lord said, no, I want you to go this direction, but here's a few things you can put in. Now we're living in a bad day. If you stop and think about it, if Lot's wife would have been the salt that she should have been when she was in Sodom, she would not have been turned into a pillar of salt when she left Sodom. Three people, four came out. Three were actually saved from destruction and one turned a pillar of salt by looking back. If they'd have been the pillars of salt in Sodom as they should have been, God would have spared Sodom. You're a believer. And the thing that's keeping our world from going totally corrupt is what few Christians we have in this world today that are living for Christ. Now stop and think about it. It's only when Jesus takes the church out, when Satan completely takes over and brings in the Antichrist, the man of sin, and the world goes totally corrupt. As long as there's a Calvary Baptist church and as long as God's got some people that are willing to stand for the truth and preach the truth and practice the truth, the devil cannot take over. He can't take over Arnold County. He's got to get by Calvary Baptist Church. We, we are the salt that is holding back the corruption that can destroy Union Grove, North Carolina. 
And I'm going to tell you right now tonight, I don't know about you, my friends, but I lay awake a lot at night just thank God, what else can I do? What can I do to help uh, things? What can I do to influence somebody? What can I do to get somebody saved? And uh, uh, every night I, I think about the Lord speaks to me, says, you can hand out a few more tracts. You can invite a few more people to church. You can talk to a few more people online. You can, you can talk to a few more people on the telephone, but you've got to do something. The world is going to hell and the salt has uh, lost its savor. And we're believers. And you may be the only thing that's keeping your family out of hell. You might be the only salt that's keeping your family out of hell. You might be the only thing standing between people you love and eternity in hell. Let me give you a verse. I said I wasn't going to preach on the days of Noah, but I have a verse of scripture that the Lord gave me. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 12. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way up on the earth. All flesh. How bad was it? Well, when Noah went on the ark, he took his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and God shut the door after they were in the ark. And it began to rain and there was only eight people saved. Well, that was uh, four more than, than what came out of Sodom. And if it had not been for Noah doing what God wanted him to do, those eight would not have been saved. Now, I want to ask you a question tonight, and you think about this serious. This is something serious to really think about. If people really love God, this church ought to be full. We know that uh, that's not happening in our day. No, no church around us is actually full. Always empty seats. Always place for more. But you stop and think about Christ said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, if there was only eight people saved in Noah's day before the flood came up on the earth, how many are saved now? Now, remember this. There was a man by the name of Enoch who was a type of the church that God took out because the word of God said he walked with God and he walked so close to God and uh, in fellowship with God, God just told him one. He said, uh, Enoch, he said, you've been with me all day today and it's getting pretty close to night, getting pretty close to dark. And he said, we're a long ways from your house. He said, why don't you just come on over to my place and spend the day with me. Well, Enoch's been over there for 4,000 years spending the day with God because there ain't no night there. Amen. And he's still there. There was a man by the name of Methuselah that lived in the days of Noah. This is why I would love to preach on uh, Genesis and uh, the days of the flood. Methuselah lived to be the oldest man in, mentioned in the word of God. He lived to be 969 years old. When Enoch was 300 years old, Methuselah was born. The word of God said after Methuselah was born, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And he was not because God took him after that. Now, what was it that made old Enoch start walking with God after Methuselah was born? Well, if you know what his name means, you will know why he started walking with God. His name means that when he dies, it shall come. 
meaning the flood. Methuselah died at 969 years of age and the Bible says that when Methuselah died, the Bible says the day Methuselah died, the flood came. You think it's not worth studying Bible names? Brother, they mean something, especially the ones that honor God. Methuselah died. Now, I believe that Methuselah is a type of the believers that are here, they're walking with God, they're living with God, God's using them, and they pass off the scene, they die uh, at an old age. There are several of us here in this church. And I'm glad to know now that I'm not the oldest one here. <laughs> you, uh, I, I used to say I was the oldest one here, but Brother Melvin back there, a lot older. I am, and there's several others in here now. Hallelujah, I can call myself young. <laughs> but Methuselah walked with God, and he died, and when he died, God uh, took uh, and caused the flood to come on the earth. And I thought that's very interesting. Now, Noah himself is a type of the nation of Israel. The saints have been raptured in Enoch and saints have died in Methuselah and then Noah is a type of the nation of Israel, crawls on the ark and goes through the tribulation period. And if you understand what the Bible teaches about the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back to this earth, brother, I mean all wickedness is going to be put down. I've said it before that you will not be able to pick out one sinner when Jesus gets done, when he sets his kingdom up. Now, there'll be people born during that time, and at the end of it, there'll be uh, uh, sinners because they'll rise up after the millennium, but not when Jesus comes, when he sets his kingdom up. Sin's gonna be put down. Does that tell you something? How many people, in view of what we see in history and and the Word of God, how many people are really saved? I want to ask you that question tonight. How many of you here tonight, you really are saved. You're not putting on a show. You're, You're not putting on the front, but you really know that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. And that's a serious question, my friend, because I am convinced in my ministry of over 53 years that two-thirds of the people in the average church say they're saved, but they've never been born again. They've never had the convicting power of the Holy Spirit come up on them and point out their sin and show them how close to hell they are. And they've never trusted Christ. And they're putting on a front. They are showing a religious front, but they're really not born again by the grace of God. And that disturbs me. That's why I preach the way I do. I tell people all the time, you may go out those doors mad at me, my friend, but you won't be able to go out those doors and say, he never told us the truth. I want to tell the truth if it makes everybody mad and if everybody hates my guts. I want to be able to point my finger and say, do you know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you don't, just as sure as I stand in this pulpit, you will burn in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever in spite of what all of these politicians say, that there's no hell, the fire hadn't gone out, and there's not enough water down there to put the fire out. If you want to know what hell is like, Just go to YouTube and look at some of this volcanic action in Hawaii and some of the other places around the world and see what happens when a volcano that just like Kilauea did here uh, uh, several months ago, they had a big lake. And when that thing began to erupt, that lava began to go into that lake. And brother, that lake of water became a burning lava lake and the water just was gone. There's no water in hell. And it's, it's sad. Well, I've got to close. I've already talked long enough, but I want to say uh, if Lot had lived and had been the salt 
that he should have in Sodom. Sodom would not have perished. I want to give you something else that's interesting that uh, this is just a little history you might want to check out. For years, it's been preached that Sodom and Gomorrah are under the Dead Sea. Now, I beg to differ with that, and I've learned different, that Sodom and Gomorrah, according to Josephus, who was a historian in Jesus' day, and he wrote about Jesus. He also made the statement that he could see, they could see Sodom and Gomorrah after its destruction. He could visibly look and see Sodom and Gomorrah from the borders of Israel. He wrote about it in his book, Josephus. Go on YouTube and look up Ron Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. He was, a, he, he was not a great archaeologist. He was an amateur archaeologist. He belonged to the seven-day Adventist. But he got to reading the scriptures and he read all the things that men said about Sodom and Gomorrah and he read about where they could not, uh, they didn't know exactly where the nation of Israel crossed the Red Sea and, uh, and all of this and, and several other things that uh, he noticed and he said he got to read the scriptures and he started paying his own way. He worked a public job and paid his own way. And I forget how many trips he made to the Holy Land. Actually got arrested in Syria as an Israeli spy. And all he was was he was over there trying to find uh, things that men said there wasn't, you know, it didn't happen. And look at those things and it'll open your eyes up to when you see what he has discovered and what he put on YouTube, what he found by studying the scriptures and going over there, it'll make you say, brother, the word of God is right. Now, that doesn't prove that the word of God is right. The word of God proves that what they're finding over there actually happened. And there's places that he found actually were Israel crossed the Red Sea. They hired a boat. They sent drones down in the water. And lo and behold, brother, there are chariot wheels down there, gold chariot wheels. He even found bones close to the beach area and both where they left Egypt and went across. And then on the other side in Syria. And it's 13 miles across there. And you know all these People said, well, it couldn't have happened. Said They went across an ankle-deep water in the marshes and, of course, to the north. It is marsh. But they crossed way to the south, and the water where they crossed is 2,800 feet deep, and it's 13 miles across. And all across that, they got pictures. Go on YouTube, look at it. They got pictures of chariots with barnacles on it, they took metal detectors and, and went down there and they got uh, uh, iron wheels and gold and they told how many gold, uh, chariots had gold wheels and all of this that were mentioned in the scriptures. And he studied that. And on the beach, this is what really, uh, really blowed my mind. On the beach where they are supposedly went across, the whole beach is the rock and the sand on that beach are like concrete. The rocks have actually been melted. How did that happen? Well, read about the fire that followed the nation of Israel and led them and then got behind them when they got to the area where they could not cross. And the Bible said that God took their chariot wheels off when that water opened up and they started to cross God, they got about halfway out in the middle of that, uh, that Red Sea and God just took the chariot wheels off. 
And right there on that beach is evidence where the rocks have been melted together where that fire stood and protected the nation of Israel while they went across. And then God just lifted the fire and the Egyptians went across. God said, see it. Raise your rod, Noah, uh, or Moses. And several other things I can mention, but you go on there and watch. Ron Wyatt's archaeology. It's nothing fake. He shows Sodom and Gomorrah, actually went in there, picks up those big balls of sulfur. They're everywhere. They're in the walls. The, the buildings are actually, but they're nothing but ash. And that's what God said. God said, I'll turn it to ash. He didn't say destroy it. He said, I'll turn it to ash. He didn't say bury it in the uh, Dead Sea. He said, I'll burn it to ash. And, and there were five cities, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, there were five that God burned up. In closing, I want to say to you, what kind of salt are you in this age in which we're living? Have you lost your savor? You know what salt does? Boy, salt irritates. You put some on a cut, but it burns, doesn't it? You put some on meat and it preserves. You know what God wants you to do? I want to tell you, and God laid this on my heart a little while ago. He said, I want you to be an irritation to this corruptible, ungodly world by preaching and standing when they're saying, don't stand. And when they're trying to close you down, take a stand and be an irritation, bless God, to this world. That's exactly what salt is. It irritates and that's what we're supposed to be. Now, I know there's a lot of preachers probably wouldn't agree with that, but that's exactly what the Word of God said. You know what we do when we preach? We're to irritate people. We're to irritate the world. You do that by reproving the world, amen? Preaching the truth. It becomes an irritation to the wicked. And I hope we'll be that here at Calvary Baptist Church, amen? I love you. I, I didn't preach this to, to make anybody mad or hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm saying we need, we better make up our mind uh, who we're going to stand for because the time's coming when you're going to have to if Jesus doesn't come and it's coming soon. Come on, brother.